Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce this week's guest, I just want to thank everybody who is a regular listener for being so loyal. And if you're a new listener, I'm so happy you're here. You could just take two minutes or less and rate me on iTunes. Five-star review would be awesome. That helps me keep current on the charts and really helps spread the word about the podcast. Today on the podcast, Alex Stapleton. Alex is a super talented producer and director, both in TV and film. I was really excited to have her on the podcast to talk about the recent documentary she just directed for Netflix, Are You There, Privilege? It's Me, Chelsea, which is, of course, streaming on Netflix now. Highly recommended. It follows Chelsea Handler trying to figure out what white privilege is and how it's affected her own life. Alex and I end up in a really long and very fascinating conversation about race and white privilege, and that's a first for this podcast. We also get into some of her amazing career highlights, including her film that showed at Cannes and Sundance while she was still in her 20s. Okay, here we go. Hi, Alex. Hello. I'm so happy you're here. Um, I always start the podcast by saying how I know my guest. So you and I met three years, well, a little over three years ago, three and a half years ago, um, working on the case of JonBenet Ramsey for CBS. You were very pregnant. <laughs> I mean, you started off kind of pregnant, and by the end, you were very pregnant. <laughs> oh, my God. What a show to be pregnant for, right? <laughs> I was with this poor woman. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I was, like, swollen by the end of that show. That it was, was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, you were you were so good, first of all. I mean, we only got to work together for a short time, but I was amazed. You kind of were wearing, for a CBS show, it was a very slim team, and you yes. were wearing a lot of hats. Yes. And we were dealing with a community of people that were really hard. It was a community that was really hard to penetrate. Yeah. Meaning Boulder. Yeah. Yeah. Boulder. Yeah. I mean, we were trying to, this was 20 year anniversary. So these are people that have been hit up for 20 years to talk about this stuff and nobody would talk. Yeah. Wow. Walk down memory. Lane. Yeah, exactly. You've probably had about 50 shows since then. <laughs> we'll get into some of them. Um, I wanted to have you on specifically because I was so excited um, to see your name after watching the Chelsea Handler documentary on Netflix. Um, Hello, privilege. It's me, Chelsea. So I encourage people to watch it. It's short. It's like 50 minutes on Netflix. Um, it's, uh, it's you know, spoiler alert, we'll, we'll talk about it. So um it's a good idea to watch it before you listen to this, but hopefully um, this will inspire you to listen to it if you haven't listened to it. So first of all, how did you get in? How did you even connect with Chelsea to even become a part of this? Um, well, the uh, Eddie Schmidt, who we both worked with on that CBS show with yep. John Bonet or for about John Bonet, um, uh, Eddie had worked with her. He he directed and produced her four part series for Netflix, and. Um, always thought that we would kind of, I don't know, that somehow we, we should have been connected. Uh, so he tried to, I don't remember what I interviewed for, but, uh, I think he wanted me to come on board. Chelsea does to help him out. And then later when she got the Netflix show, I met with her again, um, to, to do something. I, I don't even remember <laughs> what it was, but, uh, it just, you know, never panned out. And then, um, I got a call, um, uh, from my agents that, Chelsea Handler was meeting with directors and she wanted to make a documentary about white privilege. And that was like 
the state, like that was it, you know? Uh, and I got really excited about that. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I just was immediately attracted to the project just on that sentence alone. Cause I was like, wow, this could be really crazy. Um, and met with her and we had a lot of conversations, a lot of back and forth. And she was like really open to, she, that's all she knew that she wanted to do. She had no kind of plan of like, there was no like agenda of how she was going, what she wanted to do, what she wanted to see with the film. Um, so we, we just had a bunch of casual conversations and she hired me. Um, so I'm curious, was she only interviewing people of color for directors? Cause I would think that would be so important. I, yeah, I would, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I'm so curious. Um, I know it was between me and another person. I'm hoping that that person was a person of color cause it would be a weird space to navigate. Right. I like can't even, just, uh, uh, it might be a little tone deaf. <laughs> yeah. That's have. what I'm saying. Like, I would think that would be the only way to do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think she, um, I, I mean, I don't know. Cause I, w- I don't know who I was up against, but, okay. um, I do know other directors actually who were meeting on it and they're not, you know, they weren't, they weren't all black. Um, I know that. Uh, but when I met with her, I kind of, our, our conversation was like, look, this is a gargantuan topic. Um, how, you know, we have to, we have to kind of put guardrails up creative guardrails to understand what we're going to get into. And my pitch to her was like white privilege is, is, is a huge issue. Um, it affects all of us. Uh, but from my perspective, I felt that it would be a disservice to try to include every racial group underneath that umbrella, you know, similar to her, like her documentary on race, she kind of tried to talk about the Asian American, like, you know, experience and black and, and, uh, uh, you know, Native American. And um, she, I just felt like in an hour on one film, that's a lot of ground to cover. And I wanted to keep it pretty rooted in uh, the black, like white privilege as it pertains to black people yeah. in black America. I think that that is really smart. And I also think it's very organic because she genuinely did come from having her own experiences, you know, from, from being a teenager Mm -hmm. and dating a black guy. And we can get into that a little bit. Um, I want to walk through it a little bit chronologically, but from a creative perspective, it almost is sort of like in segments, you know, like the A block, B block, how we would do a show. (laughs) Were those all things that came from you? Like how much was it? um, I'm assuming the, the boyfriend part yeah. was something that she had thought about. Well, so when we were doing, so the, I got the job and then, um, you know, I was, I, I spent like probably a good month, like just figuring out like, how am I, like, how are we going to tackle this? And it dawned on me cause she would tell me stories about her life or, you know, here and there. Um, and kind of like in a, in a, in a funny kind of way, you know, with like jokes and stuff. And, but then I got to thinking, I was like, I don't know Chelsea's origin story. I don't know where she fits in, um, in this conversation. Uh, she would always kind of volunteer information about her life post LA, you know, once she moved to Los Angeles, but I really didn't understand who she was before she came to LA. So I, um, and she came to LA, I think she was like, maybe like 19, 20, some, somewhere around, around that age. Uh, so I, asked her, I was like, you know, can we, can we meet up and can I just bring a recorder and just, let's just have a conversation, um, about you and race. And like when you 
I, I just want to ask you a bunch of questions about it. And she was like, sure. So we went to her office and then I just, we had like a, a really long conversation and I just kind of went down her history and asked her, you know, who were the black people in your life? You know, um, and there, there weren't that many. And then she shared this story about her, you know, she, I think she had a couple of boyfriends. Uh, she had one friend in high school that they, there wasn't, they weren't dating, but they were just friends. And she told me that that was the only black friend that she really had. Um, and I think he was one of the few black people in the first school that she, um, uh, you know, started at when she lived with her parents. And then she like opened up about, you know, leaving her parents home, moving in with her brother. Her brother lived in a really mixed environment with where there were lots of black people. She went to a very mixed school, dated her, this guy who turned out to be a drug dealer and she was running the streets with him. And then she moved in with him because her brother was like really young and couldn't keep up with her. And so she kind of could do whatever she wanted. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like you've got a lot more experience than most white people. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And she lived in, in, you know, she lived like in a black neighborhood, like in the hood, like, um, and she just started telling me all these stories about them getting in trouble. Um, and then it just dawned on me. I was like, Oh my God, there's something here. We have to find this guy, you know? Uh, and that was before we even started shooting and it took a really long time to set all of that up, um, to finally go and film with him. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil too much because to me, that was the most poignant part. I mean, it was the most personal part, obviously, but also the most moving because she reconnects with him. And I mean, their lives couldn't be more different. And so much of that was tied into race. Right. And she had this revelation about it, which was pretty profound. Yeah. Um, but just seeing her connection with his family, I just mm -hmm. found so moving. Yeah. Because it had been like 20 years at least yeah. or more. Yeah. And they just, you know, they clearly had this connection from when she was a kid and it was really beautiful. Yeah. Was yeah. it easy to work with his family? Were they open to it? They were. And, you know, for me as a black person, it was it was navigating, you know, some uh, complicated, you know, conversations because I knew all that I knew before we found him was that he had gone to jail. You know, we didn't know anything about where, where his life was, you know, up until this point. And so um, I tried to keep a lot of that from Chelsea because she's very, you know, she's really good at what she does. She's very involved, um, in everything she creatively has a part, takes a part in. Um, but for this film, especially I wanted to kind of like remove her from the process because I didn't want her to know everything before sitting down to go into any interview. That was clear. Cause her reaction was genuinely shocked. Yeah. And, and I actually real. think I told her the wrong information about him, <laughs> like uh, to, to throw he works her on Wall off. Street. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, well, just how long he had, uh, you know, how long he had actually been incarcerated for um because i wanted the the viewers i wanted people to be able to like actually experience that with her you know um and uh so there like why while we were filming the conversations with his family and with tyshawn were happening in the background but they never spoke and all she knew is that we were going to meet up with him she knew nothing uh beyond that um, so I, you know, as, as a, as a black person, I just felt like 
I had to manage that in a way I didn't want it. I didn't want that story to feel exploited. I didn't want the family to feel exploited. I didn't want Tyshawn to feel exploited. So, you know, there was a lot of like getting comfortable with them and having them understand what the agenda of the, of the, of the project was. Um, and you know, it's delicate because, um, his life turned out to be so different. I think the reason we all felt comfortable to move forward with it or why I felt comfortable to move forward with it was because he had no animosity towards her. He's very happy, you know, his family, you know, they, they're, they're such a loving family and he has a lot of kids. He's like five sons, I think. And he is putting everything into parenting them and his mom is so happy. And it just felt like, um, it didn't feel like we were taking advantage of their history, but rather using their history to make a point, you know? Yeah. And I think you did it really well. I, when you, you kept saying, um, you know, everything was delicate and tricky. And that's all I kept thinking the entire time that oh God. she's just walking this tightrope. I mean, you start off, she goes to this, um, I think, was it USC? Yeah. 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 And all these black people are like, why are you here? Yeah. You know, and, and she was cool. Like, I think she knew going into it, like, this is really risky in the sense of, but, but she's also being really upfront with the fact that that's I know this only, is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And that's the only, the reason I have so much respect for Chelsea is because I don't know another white person in this business that would put themselves out there and not try to act like, oh, I know it all. I'm woke. I'm this. <laughs> she actually, you know, I mean, that was a big part of our like back and forth process was, you know, like telling her if I'm going to do this, like you have to feel uncomfortable you have to be put in uncomfortable uh, situations. And she was like, bring it. And even when we were editing, you know, it's like there's a lot of people in this town that, you know, would not let those scenes ever see the life of, you know, uh, life of day, light of day, um, because they would want to protect their image and not want, you know, to bring that type of uh, uh, truth, you know, um, let that out. And she was like, I mean, to a, to the point where she was like, put more, you know, like she wanted to really like really show how, how unwoke she is or was and how, how, um, how much she needed to learn because our goal was, this is a film to kind of start the conversation with white people. You know, most minorities are people that feel like that they're in the margins. I mean, even women, you know, um, uh, we get what's going on. Right. Um, the, the, and there's a lot of, you know, liberal white people, uh, that live here and, and where we live and, and in New York, you know, that think that they kind of get it. And Chelsea was one of those people, but did not really understand how deep it went. You know, like her origin story for race was moving to California and thinking like, Oh yeah, I guess white privilege only applies to me because I got a bit of a career versus other black girls that I knew. And it's like, uh, uh, no, your white privilege story actually starts at the hospital. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's where it starts, but you had this like major, like fuck up in high school and you were able to go on with your life. Yeah. Everything was fine. That doesn't happen for people of color. Right. It was, it was, uh, I mean, I, not to sound like the white woke liberals that, that you're talking about, but I really le- learned a lot about my own blind spots, you know, and that was 
I think the point. I, I love that you guys went to Orange County to meet the group of white women. Was that your idea? Yeah. Well, we always. And of course it was Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, I mean, that's where you find them. Um, yeah. well, a certain type of white woman. <laughs> a certain yeah. type of white woman. Well, Republicans. Rep- um, exactly. And uh, that was really interesting. We did that towards the end. It the, the biggest hardship with making this film was finding the tone and convincing people to be a part of it. Um, I never wanted to, 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 and I don't think Chelsea was interested in this either. We didn't want to do, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw him under a bus, but like what, what Sasha Baron Cohen is doing with his show. I, on Showtime, I can't even, this is America. This is America Yeah, where you're like, you're tricking people right, right. and like, you know, going undercover and right. in costume just to show how people are ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> I have no time for that. Like, yeah. and Chelsea doesn't either. We're actually in like, we are in we are in tough times right now. And I think that as an American um, and as a filmmaker, I, I don't really think that like making people who don't get it just look stupid all the time is um, it. I don't, I think then you just start speaking in the echo chamber. Right. And the real, the real uh, challenge with this project was getting white people to talk because they all felt like she was going to Sasha Baron Cohen them, you know, and like, and she has, you know, a reputation and she has a certain style of comedy. Well, she's just, she's very straightforward. She's very straightforward. So people felt very, like we would, we would get people that would say yes to being filmed and then literally would pull out like 30 minutes before we were supposed to shoot. Um, so, uh, that was a chronic problem. Um, so by the end, we finally got these women together to talk and, and they came to the table and I tried to put that in the the film and in the edit, like where they explain why they don't like to talk about race. Yeah. And it was very unfiltered. I mean, that conversation, I mean, we talked about more obviously, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this smash up cut to make them like, we weren't trying to make them look bad. Right. But I want that what they felt is it came out, you know, um, they don't think race is a big deal. That's probably like the biggest problem. Right. And I think they represent a lot of people. I mean, I think that is the whole point, right? I mean, that's the whole point is just to be, you know, hit the nail even harder on the head. It's sort of, that's, what white privilege is. Yeah. Is you not don't have thinking to know. that there is white privilege. Yeah. And to, you don't even have, you can go your whole life and yeah. not really think there's a problem. Yeah. That's. And then when you hear, when you hear from minorities, when you hear from a black person, Oh, there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. Cause that's how our system is set up. That's how we communicate. We're black people or, you know, Latino people or, uh, women for men, you know, well, that was, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was something that I kept writing in my notes, which is, you know, there's white male privilege. Yes. And then like from a woman's perspective, exactly. that's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. And that's sort of, there's a lot of layers there's to this. There's so many layers. You know? There's so many layers. And, and what I find is that if you hear, if you're constantly hearing from the marginalized group and you are the majority, it's hard to really, I think it's, it becomes hard to sink in, you know, but when you're hearing from your community about, what's going on. I think it's a little, you know, the, the dose, the dosing can be like, you know, more frequent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's what, again, why putting Chelsea in the middle of this conversation was to try to do that. And it's interesting because in that conversation with those women, it started to like break, 
that woman. Yeah, there was one was start, dissenter. There was one. She was starting to get it. Yeah, she was starting to get it. She was starting to get it, and they kind of like you know it was cringeworthy, cringeworthy for them. But she, I really think that that was an eye-opening conversation for her. Mm-hmm. And yes, am I happy with the fact that she like had to categorize that as black disprivilege? You know, like <laughs> no. Uh, but um, it was starting to sink in with her. I wrote in my notes, um, racial, I wrote, what do you mean racial crimes? What? How did you find these women? <laughs> yeah. It was, I'm, some of it was extreme. I mean, even for, you know, what I anticipated of, as, I didn't think that they, I mean, I was there talking off camera with them for a while and they were really nice. Um, I honestly didn't even think it was going to go that deep. Like mm-hmm. I was kind of right, worried, right. like, Oh, is this, this is even going to be a scene? scene yeah. You know, like, and then when it just, when we started, going in like they it was and you can tell it wasn't that they were trying to be racist they really don't yeah, they were trying to be thoughtful they were trying to be thoughtful and that's like that's the pro like we that's the that's the work you know what i mean like that's yeah. the work that we have to do as a country and as a community is to like is to work on that. Um, well, I was think that's true. And actually I wrote that Kamau Bell said that white people should talk about it without a black person yes. in the room because it will get messy. Yes. But I sort of feel like they shouldn't. Like they should and they shouldn't because I think you're right that to do the work to not be in the echo chamber. Right. There has to be dialogue and listening well, and understanding. I think he meant like... Like, like the initial conversation. Yeah. 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 I mean, Grant, we should all be in these conversations, but there is a fatigue, right? Like as a black person, when you become, I mean, that was like the joke with Chelsea. It was hard for me even on a personal level to like, as a black person to feel like, Oh, like you you poor thing. Yeah. Or like, (laughs) I like having to do like the wizardry of like shooting a movie like this. Um, uh, and also just confronting my own, like, like place in the world that I don't, ever get to like I'll never be in that position right the privilege of the privilege of being able to make a doc about privilege yeah yeah (laughs) it's like it's like all kinds of like head exploding like things (laughs) but I I I think that Kamau's point was was white people should be talking about this freely you know and if you are uh, if you are white and you feel like I you know the best example is like when for the holidays and like the holidays are coming up Um, and we all are around family members and especially in this, in this climate with Trump and, you know, all the things that are floating around, um, you, everyone has that uncle or that family (laughs) member that just goes rogue and says like really conservative, you know, that's, uh, that's polite, it's racist things or, or things that are offensive, right. Or things that sound misogynistic and typically, um, you know, it's like, oh, that's. That's Uncle Joe. That's how he talks. It's like, no, like confront him. You know what I mean? If that's what you, if you believe differently, it's okay to confront um, uh, uh, people for saying fucked up things that are like completely not rooted in anything. I know, but don't you, I mean, not to sound completely cynical, but I agree with you, but I also am finding because I try to do that and I don't get very far. Yeah. And I'm really necessarily talking about family members, but just in general that we're so divided and so sitting so far away from each other that it seems like there's no way there's to no get people. Ground. Yeah, I really feel that way. And it upsets me so much now because we're so polarized and he has done such an effective job of really driving us into this to two very to, to America. There's no middle. Yeah. I 
Yes and no. I mean, I think there's a way to handle conversations where you can drop a seed of knowledge to make someone think about Right. To, to, to make someone have empathy facts <laughs> facts help just to throw them off you know just to throw them off like just to throw them off and my like my my husband is white and it was very it was crazy making this movie with him with a like a two-year-old or you know right. now since three but we're so stressed out as parents and then like literally when I come home I'm like on right. race talk like <laughs> right. all day and the, all the books in our bedroom are like you know uh uh, white fragility and you know yeah. like all this stuff and he's like oh my god and it it forced us to go into conversation um and he was telling me the other day he was he was at a he was getting acupuncture this sounds so privileged but he was getting <laughs> acupuncture it and just it, sounds LA it sounds LA <laughs> and he was his acupuncturist was in the office and she's white and I see her too and she's they started talking about athletes athletes and you know something about the body and then she made a comment she was like well you know um uh africans you know they they they're just like they they've got a leg up on us like always because they're just more fit you know just genetically and you know it wasn't a terrible comment but my husband like was like you know what like that's weird. Like, and, and I'm paraphrasing it probably wrong, it. but he was like, I'm a client and like, you know, I'm married to a, a black woman and, and part of, you know, um, part of, uh, part of some of the, um, annoyances or the grievances from the black community is that we're always viewed as like how athletic we are, you know, yeah, especially men, right? Like, yeah. oh, they're only good if they're athletes. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a touch point. And, you know, he said it to her in a friendly way and she was like, Oh my God, I never, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it's not even about the apology. She was like, I've never thought about it that way. Oh my God. And I don't know what that, you know, I don't know anything about her personal business or how she is with race matters, but those are the little things just to get people to think in a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's, I was just thinking, you know, cause about my own life and my daughter's at a school, um, it's very diverse, which we love, but it also raises some interesting topics or conversations that I've never had before. She came home a couple of weeks ago. I hope she never listens to this cause she admitted she had a crush on a boy in her class. And, uh, I said, well, does he, and he's black. And I said, does he like you too? And she said, I don't even know if he likes white girls, you know? And I'm like, whoa, it just really took me <laughs> like, back that that's like a yeah, thing. And that's she's a thing. 11, you oh know? Oh my God. Yeah. And, uh, I, I honestly, I just kind of laugh. Like I didn't even know what to say. Cause it really took me off guard. Yeah. You know, like, what would you say to your white child when she said well, that? Well, like, it wasn't racist. It was just no, real. But it it's was like, just like, there's, there is a divide right, Like already. she knows it's not just, you know, like that he's not, I'm colorblind. Like yeah. she knows he's a black boy who yes. may not like her because she's white or yes, in that or way. Vice ver- yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah. Um, I mean, she clearly likes or him. Or that's but, a thing. Or yeah. she likes him. By the yeah. way, she doesn't like him anymore. Yeah. Just for the record. <laughs> that was three weeks ago. She's on to the next. She's over. Yeah. It. Uh, but, um. I, you know, I, I, that's a really good question. And I, I'm, pro- I, I don't know the answer. Uh, it's interesting because Kamau, part of what's not in the film is we started talking about, uh, uh, children and he has, his wife is white right. and, um, he has mixed girls and, you know, my son is, I consider myself to be black, even though I'm mixed, but my son looks pretty white, but he's, um, he's mixed to me. Right. Um, and we were just having this conversation about like how like children and most black parents have to have 
have to have these talks all the time about race and um, how you present and how to function in a white world. That's just a fact, um, especially, you know, as as black boys get older right. and how they're perceived by people and how that can be threatening and it could cost, you know, it could be like a matter of life and death. I, I think that I, I mean, I can only hope that, and this would be a whole nother like chapter, like to or a whole nother show, but how do you deal with children? And I think there's so much that is not being handed down to white children, you know, um, uh, or yeah, to white children, um, to, to know how to deal with race, you know, to know, um, uh, their place in the conversation, um, to not grow up feeling guilty, right. But to grow up with empathy and understanding, um, and how, how, how do we teach white children to ally? Yeah. I mean, God, we could talk about this forever because there's a whole other layer to this, which is class because, you know, at her school, it's by the way, it's mostly rich people of color, so much richer than her and her, you know, some of the white kids, but you know, like it's, all the athletes and right. you know so that's a whole other layer yeah and it's just it could just you know I have no idea how to navigate any of it I mean I'm I completely am honest about that you know I'm just my even... way to navigate it is it to be an on issue yeah you know and just like which whoever your friends you know like yeah whatever like yeah. not even talk about it yeah. it just is what it is and that's part of what we love about it yeah and the kids don't seem to see it that way yeah. you know there's not like oh the black kids are together and the white kids because right. it's not like that at all which right. is also kind of amazing yeah because it is sort of a non-issue in that way which is why when she said that it was like whoa yeah so it's just interesting but understanding that her experience is not necessarily represent how the it's, rest of the country is it's the one percent of the one percent of the one percent i mean and i'm constantly telling her that in general yeah you know just like because you don't have a screening room doesn't mean that right. <laughs> all yeah. children in america don't have screening rooms exactly honey, you know? exactly yeah it's insane it, it we deal with a whole right. another love we deal with yeah a class here is so huge. That should um, be the next Chelsea doc. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good idea. Like, actually, yeah, yeah. Because she's really rich. And yeah. But actually came from exactly, like not really that exactly. much. You know? So there's um, some perspective there. Yeah. Well, I could, I mean, I, I want to get to some of your other career highlights, but I mean, this is such a good conversation. And one last thing, did you happen to see Bill Maher from Friday night? Or did you hear about it? My mother called me. Yeah. Did you watch like, it? I haven't watched just it. Just the last, you know, the new rules. Uh, because he talks no, all about this. No, but he talked this. about what, yeah. That's what this, is. yeah, that's what it I was. have. So I haven't watched it. It's interesting. We shot him. We interviewed him for the I was going to ask you what got cut. So how come we you did. didn't include it? Um, I mean, you know, lots of different reasons. It was, it wasn't, the conversation actually wasn't long enough. So I felt like I didn't really get enough out of him. But, um, uh, cause it was like after a show and he was, you know, whatever. But tired. Tired. <laughs> but he's, uh, from my not, I mean, you can, you should, I'm curious to know, but my, how my mother paraphrased it was he was basically like white people don't need to apologize for, for being white and stop it. And, you know, like this is all silliness. Um, he knows that, I mean, Chelsea and him have a relationship and she went on to his, she's, he knows that she's doing this project. And I think it probably annoyed him. And I think that there is that like part of like liberal quote unquote liberal white people, him, um, uh, 
I mean, there's a lot of guys who have podcast uh, waking up with Sam Harris. Okay. Sam Harris is like yeah. one of those guys that yeah. they feel like they're liberal, but they're like, I'm so over the identity politics. Right. right? Yeah. They just don't want to deal with it, which is again, easy for them to say. Exactly. He, he plays both sides a little bit. I really want, I would love to talk to you after you watch it because you'll agree with some of it yeah. and then some of it will outrage you is what I predict. I'm sure. Yeah. My mom was pretty outraged. She's like, <laughs> yeah. why is he trying to he's yeah. definitely going after Chelsea? But, um, uh, I mean, I don't know if that that's true, right? But, because he's he is taking on white people. So on yeah. that on that, hand, well, there is an yeah. annoyance of like the white like fake woke right, person. and which is that's and what that's I'm saying. Legit. That's the part that you're gonna like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like okay, but, calm down. But white yeah. people just trying to ally and 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 a, and a person like Chelsea Handler trying to use her platform to not say I know the yeah, answer absolutely, but use me as a guinea pig. Like, how are you gonna knock that? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Okay, so let's get the quick, Alex. I mean, you have so much, but but let's just back up a little bit. So you're from Texas. Yes. And did you always, so was film, like, was that the direction that you were always going in? Because, you know, you're a filmmaker and you're a TV producer. I mean, you kind of have a lot of, you cover a lot. I, do, I yes, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to just direct uh, scripted, like, you know, my world was like John Waters meets Michelle Gondry. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find your way back. You'll find your way back. <laughs> uh, I, funny. Yeah. I, my, my, you know, my career is also probably um, a result of uh, just wanting to get paid. <laughs> well, wanting to get paid, but, but even beyond that, like uh, being a black woman in this industry, I mean, I, I'm 39 and I started working, uh, I dropped out of college, um, uh, uh, when I was 18 or 19 and I lived in, did you go to UT? No, I went to Pace university in New York. My dad used to teach there. Oh really? Yeah. Um, it was not the school for me. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I dropped out. I read, you know, I was obsessed with working in film and back in those days, this was like 1998, 1999, there were like three companies. There was like, Christine Bichon, Miramax, Killer Films, Films, uh, Shooting Gallery, uh, like all these indie companies. October. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was it. (laughs) Yeah. That was all that you had. And, um, and that's how I got my start working in independent film. Um, and then I, you know, just took whatever scraps I could get. Um, I produced my first feature when I was 24, but it was a documentary. Because docs were like this world, and I still think that they are, but that space is actually closing, where you could be a marginalized person and do really well in docs. You could be a woman Hmm. and work in documentaries, and people wouldn't really challenge you. Um, I didn't really see the lines of of sexism and like the ceiling in my 20s, because I just kind of felt like, oh, I'm doing things. And yeah. I I was 24 and I sold my first film to MTV. Like, <laughs> wow. hello, you know. And then and what I, was that? Uh, it was called Just for Kicks. It was about uh, sneakers and hip hop. And um, and then I started doing my next feature that took five years to do about Roger Corman. And I started that on my own. Um, I got seed money. Things felt really good. I got into the Cannes Film Festival. Wow. I competed at Cannes with that. Oh fe- my that god! Film. And you were in your twenties. I was twenty nine. Holy moly! And when I was there, I got asked to be on the women's panel for like a like you know at Cannes. And I was there with, all, I don't even remember who was on the panel because I was so ignorant, like, but, but I was there <laughs> and there were all these like seasoned female directors and producers and they were all, to me, 
back then they were all complaining about like how hard it was for them. What's the problem? (laughs) Hello. Like if I, and I felt like if I wake up every day and I think, Oh, I'm a black girl, I will never get anywhere. You know, like I have to just like do me. And so that's what I said. And those women were like, Oh hell no. Like they were so (laughs) pissed off. And it wasn't until Corman was extremely successful. I sold it to A&E. Um, it competed at Sundance and Cannes. Oh my God. Um, That's incredible. Incredible, right? Then what? That was your peak. That was my peak. <laughs> like yeah. nothing, you know, I didn't, like nothing happened after that. Um, I had, like I was repped. I had an agent and a manager and I was just, but I was fucking broke. And I tried to, like I tried to, to just, you know, I I was like, this is it. This is my career. And like, there was nothing. And did you want to continue directing and producing docs after that? I was okay with docs. Um, I was, but I really wanted to move into scripted and there's a lot of men who do that. They do like a kick-ass, right. Of course the world's their oyster. Yeah. And they they do the indie of the indie. And the next thing, you know, they're, they're, they're directing the X-Men. Yes. It's like (laughs) no questions asked. Yeah. I, I, you've, you, there's men who do 10 music videos and then they're directing the next X-Men. Totally. It's like, really? Yeah. Um, you know, whatever. Good for them. Uh, that did not happen to me. Uh, and the only way I could keep working was to start at the bottom working on storage wars, storage wars. (laughs) But you know what? Like, I am very fucking proud of that, but like, that's the only job I could get. That was the only job I was wondering about that on your credits. I was like, wow, this is a weird trajectory. The the title is going to be your, the title of your memoir is going to be from Roger Corman to storage wars. That that was all I could, that's yeah. all I had. Listen, and you got to take what you can get. Was that in New York or was that at, had you moved to LA? Oh, I went okay. all you over. Were all the, over. Yeah, I was all over on that show. Yeah. And, and, and what I kept telling myself was because on Roger Corman on that film, I was blessed to be able to talk to, it was like film school. It was like gra- a graduate program, like, you know, sitting down with Jack Nicholson for like eight hours. Wow. Uh, P- Peter Bogdanovich, uh, oh my God. Jonathan Demi, uh, Peter Fonda, uh, people that aren't even here anymore. Yeah. Polly Platt ended up becoming one of my producers, like, oh like, my gosh, who, like took me under her wing. I, Ron Howard, um, uh, Martin Scorsese, like that's who I got to spend five years, like, like meeting and having these like intense film conversations. And the one through line that all of them said was, um, that and Roger too, the only people that make it are the people that treat every job. Like it's like their, their Oscar award winning, you yeah. know, like project. Love that. And, um, and cause all of those guys and gals, they all came from exploitation. And back then that was like reality TV, mm-hmm. you know, it was shit. Mm-hmm. Like now that's we all, love it, but right? no, but that's all there was. That's all there was. And that was the, that was the, the smutty like B movie, yeah. you know, <laughs> it was like, like porn that was, yeah, yeah, it was like one step above porn. Yeah. And, and it wasn't respectable, you know, and, uh, but they all killed it. And when I started working in reality, um, after coming from the Cannes Film Festival, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is, this is my shot. This is still my shot. This is still like, I have to, I have to go to work and act like, you know, and not act like I have to, I have to deliver a story. Yeah. God damn it. If it's storage (laughs) wars and like, what did they find in their locker? And like, how am I going to make it magnificent? Like, that's what I did. But you worked yourself back up. I mean, that's the good news is that in the the arc of Alex's career, she did not have to stay with storage wars. I didn't have to stay in storage wars land, but I'm very, I respect that time period. It was dark, but it was, it was very, you did what you had to do. And it taught me how to get, it taught me how to be in the field and to get story. 
like no like no excuses well and that's that, what it taught me yeah and listen I, exactly and i think one of the things that i always look for when i'm looking for producing partners or whatever is versatility and I always say, if you're a good producer, you're a good producer. It doesn't matter if, you know, you could pretty much, do, you know, if I handed you a dating format tomorrow, you probably want to kill yourself, but you'd rock yeah. it, you know, because oh, yeah. you know how to tell a story. You know how to tell a story. And and you know how to pull, like, you know, working um, in that back in those days, it was like also pulling performances and like yeah. interviews out of people that like there's no charm, you know, like there's no <laughs> yeah. charm. There is nothing right. ma- There is no right. movie magic with these people, <laughs> but like, I have to get it out of them. I have to pull out like, you know, I have to make them a compelling person, uh, an entertaining person, whatever, or the villain or the good guy. And I have to do that and think on my feet and do it really fast. And so, um, yeah, but then eventually I was able to, to move on from that time period. But uh, and do some really interesting documentary series. I mean, you worked, yeah. I remember you worked on LeBron Hills series for Showtime. You directed that, right? I, I, uh, show EP'd ran, it. yeah, um, sorry. I, and wrote, um, well, show ran, um, a series called Shut Up and Dribble. Um, that it's been like, I mean, we were working on that like maybe. Th- I, well, I had my baby after we met, and yeah. then that was the first big show that I, I, right. I did. And that was like a mega game changer, I think, for my career because it um, it uh, it really gave me the confidence. And then I had people be- that believed in me. Uh, Spring Hill, LeBron's company, uh, the team over there, um, even, even the director, Gotham Chopra, um, uh, uh, Maverick Carter, um, uh, Jamal Henderson, uh, who's like the president of, of uh, Spring Hill, LeBron's company. They just really like they really believed in me as a filmmaker, um, and as a storyteller, um, I'm actually doing a new series with them right now. That's my next project after what I'm working on right now. Oh, wow. So you already know, can you say what it is? Uh, I cannot say what the new one is, but it's about, it's music related. It's in the world of music. It's a giant docu-series uh, that's set in the two thousands. Um, I'm so excited. Wow. Uh, Can you say who it's for? Uh, I can't. Okay. It's all like, sounds exciting. And it's also great to know what your next gig is. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> now, now I'm like in this, I'm very thankful that I'm finally in a place in my career where I can really start to get back into the saddle of being uber creative and, um, and, uh, artistic. I can, I, like, I, I'm like channeling Michelle Gondry for this new project. And I finally kind of got back into that space. And I feel like my thirties were this crazy decade of re- everything from reality TV to working for Bill Gates to working with the FBI you right? and like uh, true crime, crazy. On true crime yeah. for John Bonet. You know, it was just very exploratory. <laughs> yeah. Listen, but that's exciting at the same time. Cause it's the tapestry of your life, you know, yeah. and you're probably going to hit the most creative, most exciting career track in your forties as my guess. That's what I'm. Yeah. You think you have another Roger Corman. Oh yeah. Film in you. Oh yeah. Or, I mean, you know what I mean? And, I, him, and but... I love docs now. I think after yeah. Roger Corman, I was like, because <laughs> uh, it took five years and I literally well, watched just so much movies. archival exactly oh, yeah, yeah yeah a thousand movies <laughs> oh my god and I was like he made a thousand movies over a thousand wow yeah I wanted to kill myself I was like if I never have to see another movie for the rest of my fucking life. I, I couldn't go to the movies I for can't almost imagine. eight years I don't think I've seen a thousand movies in my life it was horrible <laughs> that's crazy it was horrible I was in post for three years do you um, have your Citizen Kane like do you have one that you really want to make I do. I'm like, you know, I'm going to, it's been nonstop 
Yeah. Um, and so th- this summer, I mean, sorry, not this summer. The summer's over. Uh, this I know. I never know what month we're yeah, in LA. At the end of this year, yeah. I'm going, I'm taking uh, almost two months off. And, oh, nice. Um, before I like reset to the next project and I'm, it's like time to, to reanalyze new goals. Like you know, it. what, 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 what am I working towards next? I have a lot of ideas. Um, a lot of things that I've done, I've ex- experienced in the doc space that I want to translate into scripted, but I love docs too. You know, I, I have so much appreciation for them and I'm so happy that there's finally a real audience yeah. out there. People love docu-series projects. Yeah. It's, I think it's a good time to be you and doing what you're doing. I mean, it seems like it's the stars are aligning or have aligned in the last few years. I, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. It's yeah, lovely to see you, you again. Yeah.